why I feel this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I believe that maybe even in this service, if the Lord begins to call people to the ministry or renews a call to ministry, you're going to sense the presence of God come on you. How? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be a weighty sense. I don't know if it's going to be a, 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 a something, but it's going to be tangible. You're going to begin to experience it, and I want you to just, when you do, uh, at the end of the service, just come and let me know what God is doing in your life. So 1 Samuel 31 through 9, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. The Amalekites had invaded the south, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came back to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Some of your family has been taken captive by sin and by the world, right? And you feel like you're in the same position. Uh, what position was David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep? And David's two wives, Achanoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite have been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. They weren't talking about marijuana. Because, because the soul, I wasn't always a Christian. <laughs> because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. And if you were to read on, you will find that David did overtake them and over, uh, overcame them, and they did recover all. So the setting for this passage is David and his men came back home where they lived, and they found everything they had in life had either been destroyed by fire or stolen from them. James is a volunteer fireman. I'm sure he's gone to many a place where people are, are distressed because everything they had, they lost in a fire. That's a difficult place to be. Even for these hardened fighting men, this situation nearly broke them. It is also nearly ended Israel's greatest king from fulfilling his purpose and call in life. However, instead of doing that, it actually served to propel him into his divine destiny. So first thing we want to recognize is David's call. Uh, the uh, Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. He was the first king. For he has turned away from following me and not performed my commandments. Then if we were to go down to 1 Samuel 16 and 1, as I said, we're going to shorten this a little bit. The Bible says that the Lord said to Samuel the prophet, Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Then 1 Samuel 16 and 7, the Lord said to Samuel when he went, do not look at his appearance. He's not going to look anything like Saul. Bottom line. Because I have refused uh, Saul. For the Lord does not see man as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 13. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Because 
Jesse was bringing all his choice sons, the ones that looked like what they anticipated were going to be the football player, the jock, the king. And, he, and, and none of them were. And Jesse says, oh, they're still the youngest. And he's out keeping the sheep. In other words, when you said to bring all my sons, we don't consider him to be one of our sons. But if I'm going to be honest before the Lord, yes, I have another one. And Samuel said, go get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So I wanted you to, to recognize that Sam, uh, Samuel was used by God to place a divine call and anointing on David's life to be the next king of Israel. Now, let's look at, after that happened, David's situation. 1 Samuel 30, verse 3 David and his men came to the city where they resided. There was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. The place where they lived, the place that they called home, was upended. My home was upended several years ago during a hurricane called Harvey. It was Harvey, right? 52 inches of rain, which, by the way, didn't rain here. It rained up there. But guess what? What happens up there also affects what happens down here. You may think what happens in Washington doesn't affect you, but it do. <laughs> it comes down, right? It's definitely affecting what's happening down there in uh, Del Rio and uh, Laredo and all that kind of place. Too much politics. Let's keep going. Right. So anyway, when they... When they got home, it was burned down. It was gone. Not only that, the people who made the place home were gone. They had been sold into slavery. They had been, uh, uh, they had been uh, uh, victims of child trafficking. Huh? <laughs> they did not know if any of them were still alive. Here they were in a place of refuge while they were fugitives from their homeland because, see, what had happened ever since David had been anointed king, he went up for a little bit, but then he became uh, persona non grata. He became a fugitive of the government. He was uh, considered a January 6th insurrectionist. And they put him away. They, they put his name on posters. He had to run to get out of the country where he was born, where he was raised, where he was called to be the next king. Everything went the other direction. And the only place they found a little bit of peace was in a place called Ziklag. And Ziklag was their home. But now even that was taken away from them. They did not know if anyone was alive. Here they were in a place of refuge while they were fugitives from their homeland. And everything they had in this place of refuge was now gone. What I want to bring out here is that they were all in a time of sorrow and grief. First Samuel 34, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. They had experienced such a devastating trauma. They were so stunned at the reality of the situation that it stopped them in their tracks. And the emotional toll upon their lives was devastating. First Samuel 35 through 6, and David's two wives were also taken captive. And David was greatly distressed. 
Not only because he lost everything, but the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So here we see that not only was David facing, like everyone else, the trauma of all he loved dearly being taken from him, but as their leader, all the men were looking for someone to pay. And he was leading in the pulpit. <laughs> and now they were blaming him, and they wanted justice. That brings us to our third point, David's response. The Bible says David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So we're going to stop there, and we're going to move to the, to, uh, in other words, we're going to stop reading the text, but the, the, we'll get back to the rest of it here in a minute. So to recap, what we are made to understand is that David, as part of this company, was equally as ravaged and devastated by the toll this raid the Amalekites had made upon his people. He too had lost everything, and he too was in bitter distress. However, it was worse for David. Why? Because he was their leader. Not only was David uh, being pressed on by the situation, but he was also being pressed on by the people who were blaming him for the travesty that was taking place in their lives. What would, he have, what would we have done in a time like this? David could have done the same thing we could and probably would. He could have run away. Have you ever faced a devastating situation and all you wanted to do was to run away? When my house was flooded, if I'll be honest with you, I just wanted to leave. Leave it all. It's all gone anyway. However, I had a mortgage that I still had to pay. I had no insurance. Why didn't you just fall? I didn't have insurance. I didn't have flood insurance. I had other insurance, but I didn't have flood insurance. So I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to run away. But sometimes you just can't do that. It didn't stop some people from doing it, but I couldn't do it. And some of you may feel like you're in a situation right now or have been in a situation like that where you just want to run away, but you can't. He could have also given up on the situation and the call on his life. Forget this call to be king. It's only brought me nothing but grief. It's only brought me nothing but uh, uh, devastation. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be called. Leave me alone. He could have surrendered his leadership. And he could have given in to the demands for his death. But David did not do any of these things. What did he do? The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, we didn't read this. We did it at the beginning. But I want to make a distinction here. Because a lot of people, when we read, he strengthened himself in the Lord, it means he went and he began to seek after God. He began to pray. No. Because in the next verse, it says he inquired after God. So that must mean that when he strengthened himself in the Lord his God, that was different than praying. Now just go with me here. We all get to the same place. It all works out good in the end. But I'm making a distinction for a particular reason. So I bring this out to highlight the fact that God, David wasn't seeking God's wills or God's answer yet for the situation when he strengthened himself in the Lord. Sometimes I think we jump to that conclusion. He will do that 
But first, what he did was to strengthen himself in God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Perhaps it meant recalling the call of God on his life. Perhaps it went something like this. Now, you've got to remember, he's devastated. He's, he's in distress. He's losing everything, and people wanted to kill him. So what do you do in a situation like that? Do you quit? That's not what David did. And I want you to know that David was anointed by God, but he didn't have the same Spirit of God inside of him like we do. The Spirit of God was upon him and would come upon him, but David was doing this without the benefit that we do. The Bible says if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. But we can sure learn from what David did. I believe David probably went something like this. Everything's, everything's terrible, but I remember. I remember when nobody in my family wanted me, when I was out there taking care of the sheep, that God made himself real to me. I remember God speaking to my heart and saying there was a plan and a purpose for my life. I remember when uh, I was called and I was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. I remember the Spirit of God coming upon my life in incredible ways. I remember something was different. Now all of a sudden, I remember when a bear would come after my sheep, the Spirit of God would come on my life. And I would go and I would attack that sheep and I would kill it. I remember when a lion would come upon my life and God came upon my life. And I went and I attacked that lion and I killed it. I remember when I went down to visit the army and everybody was running from a guy named Goliath and the Spirit of God came on my life and the next thing you know, I went after that giant and God helped me to take down that giant just like he did that lion and that bear. And I may be in a tight situation right now. Things may be difficult, but God hasn't changed. I know that God's called me. I know that God's leading me. And I know that God's not finished with me yet. How often do we let, instead of doing that, we let the enemy, oh, you're finished now. You might as well give up now. You're, you might as well just go ahead and die. And in fact, if you can't die soon enough, why don't you just go get a gun and just help God with the process? Because God don't want you. People don't want you. God lied to you. It ain't going to happen like he said. But David, I'm sure he was hearing all them voices, but that's not what he did. He went back and he began to recite who God was and what God has done in his life. If God be for me, who can stand against me? He strengthened himself in God. And there wasn't anybody there helping him. There was no uh, 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 Ben and her. <laughs> there was no Aaron on one side and her on the other. Because everybody wanted his death. And I want to tell you, sometimes who you are is determined by what you do in the darkest times of life. And we can learn from David. And we got to learn how to sometimes strengthen. If there ain't nobody out there to strengthen you in God, then you got to learn how to strengthen yourself. You hearing what I'm saying? Whatever it meant to strengthen himself in the Lord, the Bible sums it up by saying that that's what David did. Then after he strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he went to God. The Bible says David inquired of God. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? How many of us, when we're down, the last thing we want to do is fight? But David knew that's what he was called to do. I don't think Christians today realize that we're called to fight. We think we're called to spectate. 
We think we're called to judge how well the pastor does when he preaches on Sunday morning. No, we're called to fight. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, resist him. We're called a fight. So what do you think God's going to tell you when you pray about what he wants you to do? Oh, you know what? You just sit down there and have yourself a little moping party and everything's going to be okay. I want to tell you something. I would love God to do that with me sometimes, but it seems like I'm always having to fight. What did, David, what did he tell David? Shall I pursue? Because he kind of already knew. Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And God says, pursue. For you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You see, God answers him. And God tells David to get ready for a fight. He tells him, instead of sitting there moping and 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 gloomy and you, know, you remember that Peanuts character, the guy with the cloud all the time, instead of sitting there like that he said, I want you to go on the offensive I want you to attack this troop and I want you to fight and if you will go after them and fight God promises him that he will recover all now let's be fair, the last thing we want to do in the midst of a travesty is to go on the offensive Yet somehow that is what God is telling David to do. And I want to suggest that that's what he wants his people to do as well. That as people of God, we need to recognize that the enemy of our souls is seeking for our destruction. He's seeking for us to take up a sentiment of apathy. He's seeking for us to become idle and to submit to the ways of his world. But that's not what God wants. Every so often, he does land a blow that wants to cause us to double over and quit. You ever been there? In this moment, we may believe the lie that God isn't who he says he is or that God's will is for this to happen. What we can learn from God's response to David's inquiry is that God tells him, and I believe is also telling us, that if we don't surrender, if we don't abdicate our positions in Christ, if we will continue to believe God and fight, we too can see the promises of God to recover what the enemy has stolen from us uh, uh, played out in our lives as well. In this we see what God's will is. That is what God truly wants for us. And we also see that to receive it demands our faith and cooperation with God. Third thing we're going to look at is David's leadership. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. Not only did David go, but all these people that wanted to stone him, he didn't quit on them. They may have quit on him, but he didn't quit on them. And he, was, he knew that he needed them. You see, sometimes we think, I don't need the church. I don't need anybody in church. Oh, did you see how they looked at me? Did you see what they said to me? Did you see how they, you know, I know what they're thinking about me. And that's the enemy talking to you. That ain't God. I don't need them. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I want to tell you something. God didn't tell you that. Because God doesn't violate his word. Yeah. 
God doesn't contradict his word. He said to forsake not the assembling of ourselves. So who is telling Christians they don't need to go to church to be a Christian? If it ain't God, forgive the colloquialism, if it ain't God, who is it? It's the devil. Because this enemy comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. God made us to be a part of a body. If we're not part of a body, we are an organ uh, in need of uh, nutrition. We are a heart without a place to pump. We are a kidney without a place to filter. We are a joint without a place to fold and to bend. You hear what I'm saying? We're just out there isolated by ourselves, believing a lie that I don't need anybody. And David recognized, no, I need these people. I need them. Not only did David go, but he was able to persuade the people who wanted to kill him to also go with him. He didn't abdicate his leadership, but he continued to leave even when things were the most difficult. Everyone, and this is just Rick talking here, but everyone will lead, uh, wants to be able to, or even wants to lead when there's no responsibility involved. I've been a leader for a long time, and I can tell you from experience that it happens all the time. People always want to tell me what I should do. <laughs> Which the reality is, the Bible says, in a multitude of counsel there is wisdom. Sometimes when they tell me what to do, they don't realize. They may think that, uh, you know, God's, they're just talk, they're sharing their own opinions. But a lot of times, it's the Lord speaking through them. Not always because they have the right thing that they're saying. But sometimes, I know what to do when somebody tells me what they think I should do. And I say, no, that ain't it. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> people want to be, they want to lead, but they want to lead without the responsibility for their decisions. So they try to get leading done through someone else. When they have to make the responsible decision and they have to bear the brunt of the decision, they don't want that. Others will lead until the situation becomes hard. Or the demand is too pressing. Then they leave the position, thereby leaving the people they're responsible for to fend for themselves. But that's not what David did. He continued to lead the men in their most difficult time. The time when he needed them the most and they needed him the most and they just didn't realize it. And what did he do? He led them to victory and to the recovery of of all that they had potentially lost. So, that brings us to David's turnaround. And as we already said, David recovered all. But it's good to read it. First Samuel 30, 16 through 19, when he had, they found a man who had been left behind from the camp of the Amalekites that had come and taken everybody captive. They left him to die. Uh, David and his men found him. They helped him to recover. They said to him, lead us down to these men. He said, promise you won't kill me, and then I'll lead him down. And the Bible says he led them down, and when he had brought them down, there they were, spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So get this. It wasn't just Ziklag. They had taken spoil from all the land of the Philistines and from all the land of Judah. Now that's important. 
David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything else which he had taken from them. David recovered all, but it doesn't say this, but it's implied in the text, they got more back than what the enemy had stolen from them. And I guess I can't make this a biblical principle. However, it's a general biblical understood thing that when the enemy robs from you, he has to pay you back more than what he took. Now, I don't know how God enforces that, but I trust God that if I will do what he tells me, that what, event, what looked like was going to be a devastation, not only is God going to bring that back, but if biblically it looks like God brings back more than what the enemy stole. Now, I do have a, I just, just occurred to me that the enemy came in and stole a lot from a guy named Job. No, <laughs> Job. Just want to see if you're paying attention. Lost everything. And I, he was in that bitter place of the soul where even his wife came and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, can we just receive good things from God? And, and I don't know, I would imagine he had a lot of opportunities to encourage himself in the Lord. Right? And what ended up happening after that dark night of the soul that lasted, some scholars believe, lasted about nine months. After that nine-month period, things began to turn around. And here's the thing. If you read chapter 42, but see, you got to get through chapter 2, 3, all the way through. you got to get through all of that to get to 42, but a lot of us quit in chapter 2. If you quit in chapter 2, you're never going to get to chapter 42. What you're going to realize in chapter 42, and I guess this is biblical, uh, uh, um, what do you call uh Huh? Payback. What he got in chapter 42 was he got back double. All that had been taken from him. What is, I just thought about this, what is the prophetic word over our congregation? Double. This is the year of double. Everything the enemy has sought to steal from us, it's going to get paid back in full and Double, I prophesy that this morning in keeping with the prophetic word that we got from Danny. Second thing is, so David recovered all. Second thing is David is now thrust into his destiny. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So let me just set the scene up. I'll do it again in a minute, but let me just set the scene up. He just got through recovering all from, from, uh, from the Amalekites, and he just got back to the devastation, the city that was devastated, that was burned down. He just got back there. He'd only been there for two or three days. 
And all of a sudden, a messenger comes, and he had ashes, uh, uh, clothes torn, dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and said to David, where, David said, where have you come from? He said, I just escaped from the camp of Israel. David said, how did it go? Please tell me. And he said, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. Who are Saul and, uh, Saul and Jonathan? They are the present administration. They are the king and the prince. They died. And then the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, why is that important? Where did things finally turn around for David? I believe it's when things were at their worst, and he strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired of God and led his men forward to recover all that had been stolen. My point is that had not... David encouraged himself in the Lord. Had he not gone after what had been stolen, then he would most likely not have been ready for the next stage of his destiny. Sometimes your worst, what appears to be your worst, darkest night of the soul is really just a launching pad to your destiny and when you react appropriately in God. Now, I believe the Lord had me preach this this morning. Maybe there are some people here, you're there. And I just want you to know how you respond there will determine what you see happen in the next few years. He would not have been in position had he not strengthened himself in the Lord. And remember, what were his options? I quit. I'm leaving ministry. I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving all of this. Why? Because we went through a horrendous battle, a horrendous, what appeared to be a horrendous defeat from the enemy, and we just don't want to do it anymore. That's where David was. But David strengthened himself in God. When he strengthened himself in God, he went to God. God said, I'm going to turn it around. As long as you don't quit, as long as you keep going forward, I'm going to turn it around. I'm sure David thought he was only going to get back his wife and his kids, and he's going to get back everything that was stolen from them. But what we find is that not only did he get that back, he got back a whole lot more from the Amalekites, and then he got the open door for that which he was anointed to 13 years prior. He was called and anointed and installed to be the next king of Israel. So David's life is not only an encouragement to us, but also a prophetic roadmap to fulfilling the call and purpose of God in our lives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. How many of God's people have forfeited their destinies because instead of remaining steadfast in, in faith, steadfast in faith through the storms of life, they caved and allowed the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy their lives and their destiny? We can learn from David, and like him, when things seem darkest, let's likewise begin to practice what he did, which is strengthen ourselves in God. And instead of cave, caving, let's rally in God, stand against the enemy, and seek to take back all that he seeks to steal from us, from the people of God, and from the generations coming after us. Because I want you to know, God's not just interested in your life. He's interested in your children and their children 
and their children after them. I don't remember the quote by Adams, but it basically went something like this. Look, I want to do, I want to be an artist. I want to be a painter. I want to do all of that. But necessity demands that I learn to, to go to war. This is not an exact quote, the gist of it. And I learned to go to war so that my children after me can study in the sciences. And I go to war so that their children after them can then learn how to be patrons of the arts. So in other words, he's saying, I'm not just living for me. Because if it was up to me, I'd just go somewhere else. But I'm not willing to forsake my people, my generation, the next generation, or the next generation that's coming after them. And so I must do what necessity demands. I must strengthen myself in God, and I must stand with God and stand against the enemy, stand against the moral decay that's happening today, and be a light, arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I must be willing to be a light in this dark world, not because things are getting getting darker, but because the more people stand up and shine, the more opportunity we have to change the next generation, to change what's coming after them, because I'm living for them, not just for me. Now, I'm not a believer in using movies to preach, but I don't mind a good illustration when I find it. In the movie called The Patriot, and this is not in my notes, there was a man by the name of Mel Gibson who was playing the Patriot. And they were at the final battle. And at the final battle, everything looked dark, everything looked bleak, and people started retreating. And the guy that was holding the flag began to retreat. And when the people saw the flag retreating, it was bad. People were dying all around them. The cannonballs were taking off arms and legs and heads and all of that. And everybody started running away from the battle. Mel Gibson, I don't know his name, he said, no. And he went and he got the flag. And instead of running away from the battle, he ran to the battle. And when he ran to the battle, what you see happening in the movie is also a picture of hap what happens in life. Courage is contagious. Fear is contagious. But I want you to know that courage is contagious. I believe when Shadrach said, I'm not bowing, Meshach and Abednego says, neither are we. And I want you to know, when you, start, when you stop running away from the enemy and the Goliaths and the mountains and the problems... And you take a stand that, no, this is not what God has called me to. And you begin to display some courage and faith in God. You say, well, we're older. So, Caleb was older. Joshua was older. They didn't quit. What did Caleb do? Well, I ain't running. Give me a mountain. Give me the one that has all the giants on it. And you know what happened when he ran toward the battle? Same thing that happened in the movie. The movie is just an example of biblically what happened. When Mel Gibson got the flag and started running toward the battle, people checked themselves and they saw his courage. And they said, what am I doing? And they turned around and they began to run toward the battle 
And that moment that appeared the darkest in the moment of that battle is what turned it around. And they won the battle and they won the war. You may think, well, it's just about me. But what you don't realize is when there are people that stand and say, no, I've had enough. God did not call me to live in defeat. God called me to make a difference. And I'm, I'm willing to die if need be to change and not bow down and not cower, but to do something different, opposed to the current of the way the world is right now. I want to stand with God. I believe with all my heart there are young people, there are uh, young adults, there are kids that, that are going to see what it is to be a man and a woman of God and that courage and that faith is going to grab a hold of them. The Spirit of God is going to come a hold of them and they're going to say, I want to be like Papa. I want to be like Grandma. I want to be like the leadership. I want to be like the people in that church. I want to be like them. I don't want to run. I don't want to cower. I want to have something to live for because I found something that is worth dying for.